Today, I'm going to talk about what matters most for your inner talk. Stay tuned. What if I told you that there are just three things you need to do each and every day to revolutionize the quality of your health and well-being? Well, there are. And I'm here to share with you exactly how to start taking control of your body and your life today. My name is Marcel Hansen, and you're listening to Small Habits, Big Changes. Let's dive in. I know there's a lot of talk about self-talk, negative self-talk, and over the years, incantations and affirmations, and there's lots and lots of information out there about self-talk. The truth is, the language that you use to talk to yourself is very important. The language that you use to communicate with others about yourself and your preferences is vital. Language matters. The words you use matter. And they do and can shape your blueprint and shape your routines as far as self-care. I have a couple examples. Now, I grew up eating chocolate and peanut butter, chocolate and mint, chocolate and chocolate. Not so much dark chocolate, but milk chocolate. And in my 20s, I really tapered that down. I isolated on a few processed sweets that I enjoyed, and I stuck with those, Reese's peanut butter cups primarily. Now, in my 30s, when I decided to cut sugar out, and I went cold turkey actually on a holiday on Halloween, it required a shift in not only acknowledgement for myself, but to let others know because other people know you by habit as well. And if somebody knows that you've been eating such and such for years and years, when you come over to their house, they may have some to offer you. What will you say? Sometimes it's hard to say no, but it's easier to say a statement that is in alignment with your identity than it is to just refute an offer and certainly easier than partaking in an offer. So this is what I've done. And if you want to try it on, let me know how it works for you. So listen to these four statements. And for those of you who aren't watching on YouTube, that you're just listening on a podcast channel, this may be more advantageous to you and your ability to isolate just the tone in my voice. Four statements, doesn't matter what you're saying them about, but it's the love, hate, can't, don't. So I love chocolate. I hate chocolate. I can't have chocolate. I don't eat chocolate. Okay, now I say the latter. I don't eat chocolate. It doesn't matter in that moment whether I like it or don't like it. I have trained myself to not eat chocolate. At first I said, I don't like chocolate. For years and years, I'd say, I don't like chocolate, which in the grand scheme of things is actually an accurate statement. People will be like, you're just lying to yourself. It's not actually true. If you take the short-term satisfaction of chocolate and the long-term dissatisfaction with it, I actually don't like chocolate. I don't like sugar. 
I don't like bread. I don't like pasta. I don't like condiments. But that's not what I say. Because that can be a little contentious. And also, for many years of my life, it wasn't true. Now that I can look at things in a broader scope, those statements are true. But I choose to use an empowered statement, which is, I don't eat bread. I don't eat condiments. I'm not really a condiment girl. That's what I tend to say. I don't eat pasta. And I don't. I haven't had pasta in forever. Because the benefits of it for me, I'm not saying that you should not eat pasta or you should not eat bread, but you should look into what it is that works for your body. And if you don't feel good after, then that's something to consider reducing. Just a thought. But I want to reiterate, the language you use is really important. So when people offer me a slice of bread or a piece of chocolate or whatever, I just say, I don't eat chocolate. Yesterday, someone offered me a bottled water and I could have just said no or no thank you, but I want to establish a baseline to where I don't always have to refute it, that it just becomes more habitual. And I say, I don't drink bottled water, which is true. I don't drink water out of plastic bottles. And I don't really think of it in the moment per se, but probably four people heard me say that. And someone may think that's pretentious and someone may think that's, I don't know. And I don't really care because I'm not looking to make friends with my statements. (laughs) I'm looking to preserve my welfare and it's not at the cost of someone else. So it's not, it, it shouldn't be an issue. Yet someone else may think to themselves, oh, I actually don't like drinking water out of plastic bottles either. So I'll be like, maybe they will adopt a statement that is an affirmative statement of preference, but stated in such a matter of fact way. It's not about arrogance or, well, again, pretension. It is about stating a uh, preference. So we want to express out into the world what we want and what's in alignment with what's best for us. But only you can decide these statements. They're not something that you could just adopt from me because they wouldn't bear truth. And if your perspective, when you look at, let's say chocolate, for instance, because lots of people love chocolate and lots of people partake in chocolate and lots of people have negative adverse effects from chocolate and they still partake in it. And that's my point. Can you draw the enough awareness <clears throat> to know what works for you? And then to first choose the language that works for you to say to yourself, and then also the language that you use to express to the world. So you're in congruency. I really think omission is not an option here to just be like, I pass, because to me, it feels incongruent. The words you choose will affect what you do, how you act, and how you continue to think. If I say, I love chocolate, but I better not, I'm telling myself a conflicting message. One, our brain wants to go towards pleasure or away from pain, right? So if I can't express or summons up enough pain associated with chocolate, which I don't know if I really can, it's not that big of a deal, then saying, I love it, but I'll pass seems very 
counterintuitive. If you love something, you partake in it. And so there's probably lots of people listening going, yeah, I love it. That's why I eat it. But do you love it? Or do you love the certainty that it brings, even if it makes you feel sick afterwards, even if the next day you don't feel as good? Now, I'm not talking to the people that nibble off a piece of high quality dark chocolate for its health benefits, or it's certainly not sweet, it's usually bitter, or for its taste. I'm not talking about that. But if we're talking about like mass produced, junky, sugary, white sugar, packaged, food coloring, added junk inside there. If we're talking about that, then most people do not feel good after eating that, but they eat it anyway. Why? They think they love it. They actually don't love it. They either love like the little dopamine kick, the sugar kick that they get off of it, the certainty that they get that they know they'll feel a certain way. And I know that sounds a little crazy, but people do things to meet their needs doesn't matter if it will conflict with anything else, their identity, their upbringing, their religion, their personal set of rules, doesn't matter. Tony Robbins speaks at length about this, the six human needs. So definitely check that out if that's of interest to you. But I just touch on the fact that people will get their needs met. And one of the needs of us as humans is the need for certainty. Now, not everything can be certain, you can't know exactly what's going to happen in every moment because that would conflict with our second need, which is uncertainty or variety. But certainty is a lot of the reason why people eat what they eat. They know it will make them feel a certain way. Certainty is why people go back to Starbucks because things are made consistently or McDonald's. So Starbucks, and I'm from Seattle, <clears throat> Starbucks does not have the best coffee. I'm pretty sure. I've never had coffee, but I'm pretty sure Starbucks is not the highest quality coffee. I can say that with fair certainty. McDonald's does not have the best burger or the best fries or the best anything, except maybe marketing. Okay. So people don't go there on the regular because it's the best. They go there because one, they know what they're getting. That is consistency, i.e. certainty. They are sure of the outcome for the most part. And two, they've been mass marketed at a McDonald's more so than Starbucks at a reasonable price, if you will, comparative to the rest of the market. So it makes it that much more accessible. That doesn't make it good. It just makes it certain. And therefore people partake. So my encouragement is just to really look at things that you're eating, consuming, spending time around to quantify or really look and see if these are priorities for you and if they suit your overall wellness. I really came into contact with a deeper level of this when I started intermittent fasting because our relationship with food is really powerful. It doesn't matter if you're thin or heavy set or if you're full of muscle or not. We all eat to some degree emotionally. Many of us, I'd say 95% of us. There's few of us who have marketed out particular meals that are non-emotional, that are calorically rich, that 
suit and fulfill our bodily needs. It's a very difficult thing to do. It takes time. It takes research, but it is well worth it when you find certain foods that are vital to your living that make you feel vibrant and alive and they wake you up. And we've really gotten away from that as a society in North America. We eat a lot of dead food, a lot of packaged food. And I say dead as in nutrients, like things in a box or things in things that have all been fortified and modified and are non-organic and have been processed to the nth degree. They're in a bag, in a box, in a barcode. These things may bring sustenance to a certain level, but they are not providing vibrancy. So the closer we can get back to eating naturally and whole foods, that's going to help bring new vibrancy and energy to our lives. And once you start to implement some of that, the languaging kind of goes along with it. But if you're not in a place to implement it, then practicing the languaging, which impacts your thought and your action and therefore your habits and routines, practicing that now, even just to yourself, is important. And again, I'm not saying lie to yourself. I don't like bread. I don't like bread. It's not really how it works. You have to look at if that bread is filled with a processed gluten from where we live on this part of the planet, North America, and that gluten upsets your stomach, distends your stomach, bloats your stomach. Lots of people don't realize how much it is until they cut out gluten and then go back to gluten and reintroduce it. They realize how much it affects their gut. But when you recognize that discomfort, that distension, whatever's going on from them, you have to associate that with the pleasure of eating it. It just is what it is. You pay the price for what you consume. You'll pay the price for your language. You'll pay the price for your thoughts. You'll pay the price for your habits. And unfortunately, with many of us, we pay the price for our habits too late in sickness, in care homes, in disability, in dis-ease, in ongoing illness. So if you're proactive, this is a way that you can alter some of the habits that you have now, break them down and literally realign yourself with things that are more fruitful, no pun intended, for you. So a little bit of a a jambalaya today. I feel like languaging is super important, but it does lend itself and it does fully lend itself to expressing to others as well as ourselves what it is our new standard of what we're going to consume, spend time with, ingest, what have you. So give some thought to your languaging around what you love, what you hate, what you can't have, which is a little bit of victimy there. I never say that. And what you don't. I love broccoli. I hate broccoli. I can't have broccoli. I don't eat broccoli. There's a huge difference in the tone and the implication of my comment. I love broccoli. I'm probably going to eat more of it if that's what I'm telling myself. I hate broccoli. Probably not going to have 
and he's probably going to see it on the side of my plate if that's my comment. I can't have broccoli. Means I like it, but it has an adverse effect on me or I'm not supposed to, someone told me not to, it goes in conflict with something. So there's a little bit of like, mm, and then I don't eat broccoli. Is a simple matter of fact, pretty neutral statement. Doesn't express whether I like it or don't like it, or whether I can and can't have it according to someone else's decree. It just says I don't eat it. Simple. I do eat broccoli, but I don't eat a lot of it as of late for a certain reason. But I think it's really important that what is going on inside of me is expressed in an authentic way and that what I consume matches that. So if I say I don't eat chocolate and then you see me eating chocolate on a regular basis, that doesn't make any sense. That won't happen, by the way, because I don't eat chocolate. And I say these statements as a general rule. If I felt like having a piece of dark chocolate, I totally would have it. If it didn't have sugar in it, if it didn't have even just for lots of different reasons, I'd be looking for certain things, but it'd have to be a very high quality chocolate, dark chocolate without any coconut sugar, or without any sugar in it. And those you have to go seeking those out. I'm not going to stumble upon them in the grocery store aisle. Those are usually sugar laden. But if I wanted one in that moment, I would have a bite. And that's fine because it's like a rubber band of a boundary that snaps back and says, oh yeah, that's why I don't eat it. Because maybe it hurts my teeth or maybe it upsets my stomach or maybe it gives me a rush that I don't like or what have you. So when that activity is reinforced, then I go bounce right back to, I don't eat chocolate. And sometimes that has worked in my favor to change some habits too. Cause sometimes I have partaken in something that I didn't think I ate and then I enjoyed it and it didn't have negative effects on me. And then I re-implemented it and my statement changed. Instead of saying, I don't have it, I do. So I think that a lot of people see the rigidity of a structure and they're resistant to it. The structure of the statements of the words I use of my alignment, my choices is the certainty of which I mentioned earlier. It is the first human need, the need for certainty. If you can create your own structure, you like my stable table, perfect example if you're hydrating every day, if you're moving, you're eating well, your nutrition's on point and you have a quality sleep program that you follow. If you do those things, you have created certainty. Nobody can take that away from you. You have that. So then out in the real world, when stuff happens, car accidents, illness, catastrophic events, you can handle that because you have enough of your certainty need met and that variety or uncertainty out in the world will actually be meeting a need as well. And they'll be balanced. Like it's an interesting thing that people are averse to structure and discipline and schedule when it is essential. The issue is you're not probably in control of your schedule. If you feel too scheduled, if you want more spontaneity, if you want more adventure, it's probably because you don't have enough 
in comparison to what you have structured. So structure the things that support you and your self-care and then everything else can be more spontaneous. Everything else can have more variety to it. Say, these are the, this is the things that I do. I'm hydrated every day. I drink half my body weight in ounces. I'm moving every day. So I'm keeping good on my circulation and for so many of my bone strength, so many things, mental health, I'm eating well. I eat most of my meals at home, if not all. And then I'm sleeping. I get to bed at nine o'clock. I get good restorative sleep, et cetera, et cetera. If you have those four things, then eating out once a week is your variety. It is your uncertainty because you don't know exactly what you're going to get. You don't control the oils they use. You don't control maybe the spices or the peppers or the flavors that they mix in. So that's your variety. But if you're eating out all the time, you have an extensive amount of variety, you're probably going to not have enough certainty. Okay. So if that makes sense, if you have any questions about it, certainly you can check out Tony Robbins, Six Human Needs. You can join our growing wellness community. It's by text, by texting the word yes to 206-483-2960. Or you can leave a comment below if that's available for you. If any of this is interesting or it sparked a thought in you, please feel free to share it with a loved one or a friend who also might find benefit in it. Altruistically, I just want everyone to live a better, more fulfilled, longer life. And I think you're fully capable of doing that as I am. And I hope you do. Until next time, be awesome. Thank you so much for listening today. If you feel any part of this episode resonated with you, then please consider sharing it with a friend who may also find value in it. And remember to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. And before you go, did you know we have a fantastic free text community? If you want more bite-sized health hacks and reminders delivered directly to your phone, absolutely free, then text keyword YES to 206-483-2960. Again, that's keyword YES to 206-483-2960. And we'll see you on the inside.